0: Has anyone among you ever been exposed to tear gas? Tear gas? Anyone? I'm sorry to hear that. So, you might know that it's a very toxic substance, but you might not know that it's a very simple molecule with an unpronounceable name. It's called chlorobenzalmalononitrile. I made it. <laughs> it's. Decades old, but it's becoming very trendy among police forces around the planet lately, it seems. And according to my experience as a non-voluntary breeder of it, tear gas has two main but quite opposite effects. One, it can really burn your eyes. And two, it can also help you to open them. Because tear gas definitely helped to open mine to something that I want to share with you, this afternoon, that live streaming and the power of independent broadcasts through the web can be a game changer in journalism, in activism, and as I see it in the political discourse as well. That idea started to dawn on me in early 2011 when I was Uh, covering a protest in Sao Paulo. It was the Marijuana March, a gathering of people asking for the legalization of cannabis. When that group started to move, the riot police came from the back with rubber bullets, bombs, and then the gas. But to make the long story short, I had entered that protest as the editor-in-chief of a well-established printed magazine, where I've worked for 11 years, And thanks to this unsolicited effects of tear gas, I left it as a journalist that was now committed to share new ways of sharing the raw experience of what it was like to be there, actually. So in the following week, I was back in the streets, uh, but that time I wasn't a member of any media outlet anymore. I was there as an independent live streamer. And all I had with me was basically borrowed equipment. I had uh, a very simple camera and a backpack with 3G modems. And I had this web link that could be shared through social media, uh, could be put in any website. Uh, And that time, the protest went along fine. There was no violence. There was no action scenes. But there was something really exciting. Because I could see at a distance the TV channels covering it. And they had these big vans and the teams and the cameras. And I was basically doing the same thing and all I had was a backpack. And that was really exciting to a journalist. But the most interesting part was when I got back home, actually. Because I learned that I had been watched by more than 90,000 people. And I got hundreds of emails and messages of people asking me, basically, how did I do it? How it was possible to do such a thing. And I learned something else, that that was actually the first time that somebody had ever done a live streaming in a street protest in the country. And that really shocked me. Because I was no geek, I was no technology guy. And all the equipment needed was already there. was easily available. And I realized that we had a frontier here. A very important one. That it was just a matter of changing the perspective. And the web could be actually used, already used, as a colossal and uncontrollable and highly anarchical TV channel, TV network. And anyone with very basic skills, very basic equipment, even someone like me who had this little stutterness this little stuttering issue, so if it happens, bear here with me, please. Uh, even someone like me could become a broadcaster. And then sounded revolutionary in my mind. So for the next couple of years, I started to experiment with live streaming in different ways, not only in the streets, but mostly in studios and at home, until the beginning of 2013, last year, when I became the co-founder of a group called Media Ninja. NINJA is an acronym that stands for NARRATIVAS INDEPENDENTES JOURNALISMO E AÇÃO or, in English, independent narratives, journalism and action. It was a media group that had little media plan. We didn't have any financial structure. We were not planning to make money out of this, which was wise, because we shouldn't try to make money out of journalism. (laughs) Now, But we had a very solid and clear conviction that we knew that the hyperconnected environment of social media could maybe allow us to consolidate a network of experimental journalists throughout the country. So we launched a Facebook page first, and then a manifesto, and started to cover the streets in a very simple way. But then something happened—something that wasn't predicted, that no one could have anticipated. Street protests started to erupt in Sao Paulo. They began very local and specific. They were against the bus fare hike that had just happened in the city. Uh, this is a bus. It's written there, theft. But those kind of manifestations started to, to grow, and they kept happening. So the police violence against them started to grow as well. But there was another conflict, the one I believe it's more important here to make my point, that it was a narrative conflict. There was this mainstream media version of the facts that anyone who were on the streets could be easily challenged if they presented their own vision of what was actually happening there. And it was this clash of visions, this clash of narratives, that I think turned those protests into a long period in the country of political reckoning, where hundreds of thousands of people, probably more than a million people, took it to the streets in the whole country. But it wasn't about the bus fare hike anymore. It was about everything. The people's demands, their expectations, the reasons why they were on the streets could be as diverse as they could be contradictory in many cases. If you could read it, you'd understand me. But it um, was in this environment of political catharsis that the country was going through, that it had to do with politics indeed, but it had to do also with a new way of organizing through a new way of communicating. It was in that environment that Median emerged from almost anonymity to become a national phenomenon. Because we did have the right equipment. We are not using big cameras. We are using basically this. We are using smartphones. And that actually allowed us to become invisible in the middle of the protests, but it allowed us to do something else, to show how it was like to be on a protest, to present to the people at home a subjective perspective. But there was something that is more important, I think, than the equipment. It was our mindset. Because we are not behaving as a media outlet. We are not competing for news. We are trying to encourage people, to invite people, and to actually teach people how to do this, how they also could become broadcasters. And that was crucial to turn Media Ninja from, from a small group of people, and in a matter of weeks, we multiply and we grew exponentially throughout the country. So in a matter of a week or two, as the protests kept happening, uh, we were hundreds of young people connected in this network throughout the country. We were covering more than 50 cities at the same time. That's something that no TV channel could ever do. That was responsible to turn us suddenly, actually, into the kind of the mainstream media of social media. So... We had, like, a couple of thousands of followers on our Facebook page, and soon we had a quarter of a million followers. Our posts and our videos were being seen by more than 11 million timelines a week. That was way more than any newspaper or any magazine could ever do. And that turned MediaNinja into something else, more than a media outlet, than a media project. It became almost like a public service, to the citizen, to the protester, to the activist, because they had a very simple and efficient and peaceful tool to confront both police and mediatic authority. Many of our images started to be used in regular TV channels, our live streams started to be broadcasted even in regular televisions when things got really rough. Some of our images were responsible to take some people out of jail, people who were being arrested unfairly, under false accusations, and we proved them innocent. And that also turned Media Ninja very soon in kind of a scene as almost as an enemy of cops, unfortunately. And we started to be severely beaten, and eventually arrested on the streets. It happened in many cases. But that was also useful, because we were still at the web, so that helped to trigger an important debate in the country on the role of the media itself and the state of the freedom of the press in the country. So Media Ninja now evolved and finally consolidated itself in what we hoped it would become a national network of hundreds of young people self organising themselves locally to cover social human rights issues. And expressing themselves not only politically, but uh journalistically. Um, what, I, what I started to do in the beginning of this year, as Media Ninja is already a self-organizing network, I'm dedicating myself to another project. It's called Fluxo, which is Portuguese for stream. It's a journalism studio in São Paulo, downtown, where I use live stream to experiment uh, what I call the post-television formats. But I'm also trying to come up with ways to finance independent journalism through a direct relationship with an audience, with an active audience. Because now I, I really want to try to make a living out of my tear gas resolution back then. But there's something more significant here, something that I believe is more important and more crucial than my personal example. I said that Livestream could turn the web into a colossal TV network, but I believe it does something else. Because after watching people using it, not only to cover things, but to express, to organize themselves politically, I believe Livestream can turn cyberspace into a global political arena where everyone might have a voice, a proper voice. Because Livestream takes the monopoly of the broadcasted political discourse, of the verbal aspect of the political dialogue out of the mouths of just politicians and political pundits alone. And it empowers the citizen through this direct and non-mediated power of exchanging experiences and dialogue, empowers them to question and to influence authorities in a ways that we're about to see. And I believe it does Something else that might be even more important, that the simplicity of the technology can merge objectivity and subjectivity in a very political way, as I see it, because it really helps the audience, thus the citizen, to see the world through somebody else's eye. So it helps the citizen to put his or herself in other people's place and that idea i think should be the intention should be the goal of any good journalism any good activism but most of all any good politics thank you very much it was an honor